0: 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1 following. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 following. Now, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, "'Your servant, my husband, is dead, "'and you know that your servant feared the Lord, "'but a creditor has come to take my two sons as slaves.' "'Elisha said to her, "'What shall I do for you? "'Tell me, what do you have in the house?' She said, "'Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil.'" Then he said to her, "'Go, ask for vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not just a few. Then go in, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour the oil into all of these vessels. When each is full, set it aside.'" So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they kept bringing vessels to her, and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there is not another vessel, and the oil ceased. Then she went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your children can live on the rest. Let's welcome Dr. R.T. Kendall.
1: Through the wilderness, all we have to do is follow. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very clear that everyone gets it and that this will change lives and bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Elisha was given a very wide ministry, as wide as one can imagine. If you were here the previous time, we talked about Elisha from 2 Kings 3. And there we saw that he dealt with heads of states, kings, national events. In fact, what he did was to save Israel from starving, and they defeated the Moabites. But in our reading today in chapter 4, We find the same Elisha dealing with an individual person who is in trouble. And so the God of the nations becomes the God of the individual hurting person. I heard uh, Pastor Collins say in his prayer, Your heart is for the nations of the world. How true it is. And when I think of when I pray, I'm talking to God and yet you're talking to him, we may not be asking for the same thing. And this is often intrigues me. Do you realize when we pray, somebody else is praying too, there may be more than one. In fact, there could be dozens. Uh, Would you believe hundreds? Would you believe hundreds of millions at the same moment, not asking for the same thing, but God listening to you as if there were no one else. And so the same God whose heart is for the nations, will listen to you in your cry, whatever is on your heart. Saint. Augustine said that God loves every person as if there were no one else to love. And so it is God lives to God listens to every person, as if there were no one else praying. Well, now, here's the story. A widow, she comes to Elisha, and um, she had some connection with Elisha because her husband was from the company of the prophets. And so she comes crying to Elisha, saying, you know how my husband revered the Lord. She might also have said, you know how he had problems with handling money, and uh, he's left me with all these debts. It's interesting. There are people who love the Lord, but they don't know how to handle money. There may be someone here. You love the Lord with all your heart, but you're seriously in debt. Well, this is a word that can be very important to you. Because uh, this word is particularly of relevance if there's someone here with a financial problem. So if you're that one, I will speak to you as if to no one else. If you're here today and you're doing fine financially, I hope you won't be too bored if I talk to the person here who does have that problem. This is a word important for somebody who is seriously in debt. You love the Lord, but you're not able to pay your bills. What do you do? We have in this chapter how God would solve a problem like that. And it may not be what you want, but the issue is whether you want your problem solved or do you only want it understood? Now, How does God respond to a person who is in desperate circumstances like this widow? For example, you may think, well, God will attack the creditor. You talk about a ruthless man. Here's a man who's going to say, pay what you owe or I take your two sons and they'll be my slaves. That's pretty hard. And you say, well, Maybe God will just deal with that man. After all, we saw how the bears mauled those lads that made fun of Elisha's bald head. So maybe God will just deal with this creditor. Uh, No, that's not the way it's going to be dealt with. Well, maybe Elisha would give this woman some advice and say, look, just go to this creditor and see if you can get him to be reasonable. But that's not what He says to her, well, you might think, oh, I know what Elisha will do. He will get people to pray for her. Uh, He will get everybody in the community to fast and pray for this widow so that the ruthless creditor won't be so cruel. But that's not what he does. Oh, I know what he will do. You may be saying He's going to take up an offering. All of the people in the community give to this widow money to pay her bills. But that's not it. Well, maybe Elisha himself has a little bit of money and instead of bringing anything else into involvement and it's easy to just get her out of his hair, let me just give you a little bit. And that would maybe... Satisfy her for the moment, but that's not what he does. What we have here today is a story of an example of the unpredictable ways of God. Who would have imagined that God would help this woman in her predicament as Elijah instructs her? And so it's a passage that it reads by itself. She comes running and crying. And he says, how can I help you? And then he answers his own question by saying, well, let me ask you this. What do you have in your house? And she says, well, I don't have anything, a little bit of oil. Oh, you've got a little bit of oil? Good. Good? That doesn't make sense. But that's what he says. Here's what I want you to do. So he tells her, uh, you go ask all your neighbors for empty jars. No doubt these jars are useless. And, and uh, she doesn't say go uh, ask for money from your neighbors. But for items that are of no value to the neighbors. And they'll probably be glad to get rid of these empty jars. And by the way, don't ask for just a few. Just get all you can. And so this is the way God steps in. After she comes to him. And so she's to begin with just a little oil. Do you know what I think a lot of people would have done today? They would have argued back and says, you've got to be crazy. You think I need help. You're going to help me, aren't you? This isn't going to help me. He he might have been responded to like that. And we could understand that she says, This is this doesn't make sense. Uh, that's not gonna help me with my problem. What are empty jars gonna mean to me? But here's the thing: she did not complain or question. She respected the wisdom of the prophet, although it may have made no sense at the time. Jesus said. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And so what we have here is a typical way that God puts to us a proposition that makes no sense at the time. This is one of God's ways. The first thing he says often doesn't make sense. And so you may have come here today, you're wanting a problem solved and The way the problem could be solved, you say, Well, I'm not interested in that. What I need is this. But just bear with me. It's just one of God's ways. One day, Abraham, very rich man, was complaining because he's getting old. He's 85 years old. His wife is 75. She's barren. And he says, God, you've given me all this wealth. What am I to do with it? Am I to give it to my servant Eliezer? Well, God said, Abraham, go outside your tent, count the stars. And it turns out there are billions of stars. And God said to Abraham, so will your seed be. That made no sense. He's 85, she's 75. You would understand if Abraham had said, God, don't tease me. Give me something that will make me feel better. Because that made no sense. But instead of rebuking God for giving this inane advice, he just says, I believe it. I believe it. And God says, good. For that I count you righteous. And as you've heard me say more than once, That story became the Apostle Paul's Exhibit A for the teaching of justification by faith alone, which we saw on Friday evening. Once later, God says to Abraham, sacrifice your son, one and only son, Isaac. That made no sense at the time. But Abraham did it, or tried to. It's just something that, God does all the time. Good Friday, Jesus dying on a cross made no sense at the time. So keep in mind the word that you get at first may cause you to be troubled and you think, oh, this this isn't going to help me at all. I have to tell you, it's just the way God does. Now, what's the explanation of the oil? Well, here's what happens. She's got all these jars, and she's told to go in the room and shut the door. She can take the two sons with her. I've been fascinated over why did she have to shut the door? Well, look at it this way. Her two sons and this widow get to see something that would be hard to explain to anybody else. But she's got a little bit of oil and all these jars. So she takes the oil and she pours it into a jar and it fills up. And she looks at the jar she just had there's still oil. And her little boys get to see it. And let's try another jar. Still has oil. This is amazing. Fills up. Still oil. And she fills all the jars. And then she says, I guess that's all of them. Any more jars? No, that's it. And the oil stopped. You might have thought, Elisha's going to say to this woman, i tell you what, I'm going to give you enough oil that once you pay your debts, you'll be able to buy a Mercedes Benz as well. <laughs> but no. The oil stopped flowing. She paid her debts, and then had enough to live on. Would it disappoint you if God is just going to say, "I'll give you enough to live on"? You say, well, I want more than that. You know, there are three levels when it comes to economics: what is nece- necessary, what is comfort, what is luxury. Need luxury we all want the luxury but after all do you realize that when we get to heaven you're going to have luxury in fact you're going to have a mansion how many live in mansions I'd like everybody here who lives in a mansion in central London would you stand (laughs) oh the queen didn't come Our citizenship is in heaven. It won't be long till we're there. Some people say, I want it now. And there are those who preach. You can have it now. Look here. Now and then, God can trust people with wealth. Most of us cannot be trusted with wealth. We're so sure that we could be trusted with wealth. We all think it. But if you want to know the truth interview the people that have won the lottery a book could be made on interviewing every single person who won the lottery and in every case they became miserable and it was worse than ever god knows what we need and so if you're here today you say well if i could just get out of debt and i'm letting you know that there is a way forward What happened is that God provided this widow with a way whereby she could earn money. He stepped in to do what the widow couldn't do. She did not manufacture oil. That was what God had to do. And it's interesting that God did not cause money to grow on trees. Instead of saying, I've got a little oil, what if she said, I've just got two or three shekels, and that... Elisha said, well, look, go into the room, shut the door, and you watch the the shekels become, you know, pounds and dollars. He could have done that. But for some reason, money doesn't grow on trees. And what God does is give us an opportunity to have a measure of dignity. She'd not have to go begging for money. Uh, There are those who never move outside that need. Uh, You've heard of C.S. Lewis, the great author. Did you know that he began to correspond with a lady in America who one day said that she had all kinds of financial problems? You know what C.S. Lewis did? He began to send her money. Then after a while, he couldn't do it, and she rebuked him. She felt she was entitled. It's amazing. We had a lady at Westminster Chapel, sweet lady, endeared herself to everybody But would go to them and say, She's got this financial problem. And they would give her money until eventually she'd used all she could and milked everybody. And she goes to another church, lasted there about six months. There are those who who, who live that way. They think that's the only existence. And there is a better way to live than that. Well, what fascinates me is the oil stopped flowing. As soon as she filled all the jars, it reminds me of the manna in the desert. Are you aware that for 40 years, the children of Israel in the wilderness, in the wilderness were fed by manna, manna, supernatural food. And then they came into Canaan, and on the very day, the very day, they entered the land of Canaan, no more manna. It was what they needed at the time so what do we learn from this account well a lot of things for one thing it shows that god cares about widows i suspect there are some widows here today or single parents much the same thing listen to james 127 religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being, from being polluted by the world. So if you are a widow, you are a single parent, God is aware of your problem. I hope the church is as well. We learn from this account that we are to do with what we have Before we ask God for more. It shows that God does care about our personal finances. But remember. Philippians 4.19. My God is able to supply all your needs. That's really all we need. Is for him to supply our needs. It won't be long until we're on the other side. And. Did you pick up on this? There's no hint of entitlement in the story. The curse of our generation is the feeling of entitlement. We all feel, first of all, God owes me, wrong. The world owes me, wrong. No entitlement here and no giving in to self-pity, So she was to learn how she could earn some money. Never thought of doing anything like that. You see, the God of miracles teaches how we can survive when we take what we have and watch him do the rest. You can't do everything, but you go to the next step forward. You may find that right under your nose is the next step forward. In the same book of James, chapter 5, he talks about God healing you. And he said, if you want to be healed call for the elders of the church at Westminster Chapel our last two years there uh, when I think that we probably became pretty close to be a word and spirit church uh, we had healing services and I would say to the people you don't need faith to be healed no all you have to do is ask for an elder he's the one should have faith and so the next step forward ask somebody to pray for you you say, that's the only faith I have. I don't have any, but I'm going to ask somebody to pray for me. You, you start with the next step forward. And that's what we used to do in those days. You see, God did not want this widow to lose her two children. They were vital to her survival and well-being. So we learn from this passage, God cares about families There are ruthless people out there who only care about money. They don't care about widows. They don't care about young children. You know, I could devote this whole talk today on the subject, the depravity of the human heart. Don't have a naive view about the human heart. Said Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked. Wicked above all things. Desperately wicked. You say, well, my heart is not like that. Yes, it is. We're all sinners. But there are those that it seems that even common grace has been lifted from them. And they're able to proceed in, in the worst possible things. Uh, look here. This creditor is an example. He's going to take away her two children and make them his slaves. Consider what this does to a broken-hearted mother creditor doesn't care. what it does to the children. This creditor doesn't care, and you have it today. It's, it's right before us and we're not aware of it. you're probably running into people all the time. Human slavery. How could people be so cruel kidnapping girls and taking them to a place and they'll never see? the light of day, as it were, for normal existence. This is going on. They don't care about people. They don't think of anything but money for themselves. Same with those who sell drugs. They don't care about you. And yet, you can't help but ask, why would God take a father or a husband who reveres the Lord? One of the hardest things to figure out. Why does God take a servant of his when their family so desperately needs him? Well, here was Elisha being consulted now by a widow. And I wonder if you noticed how she got his attention. It says she cried. That's what it says. 2 Kings chapter 4, a wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried, cried out to Elisha. In other words, tears got his attention. Tears. Do you know the first time the Bible mentions the word tears in, in Holy Scripture? It's in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 5. There is a teaching known as the law of first mention. Now, you don't want to push it too far because it's not always the case. But the idea is that the first time a word appears in the Bible, it carries that meaning throughout. There are exceptions and sometimes this it's, works. Well, for example, the first time we have the word tears, it's when Hezekiah was told he's going to die. And so he goes to the Lord and pleads with the Lord... And then Isaiah the prophet comes back and says, Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, I've heard your prayer. And he adds, I've seen your tears. Try tears. You can't fake it. But when it's hurting so deeply, when the tears begin to roll, you get God's attention. A widow. You find it in Luke chapter seven, the widow of Nain. She had just lost her only child, and they're carrying him in the bear the, at the funeral. And Jesus was somewhere else, but just happened to notice. And he stopped what he was doing, and she, he goes right to that widow. You know what he says to her? Don't cry. Don't cry. God sees tears. And Jesus raised that little child from the dead. An old friend of mine, his name is Ernie Reesinger. He's now in heaven. He tells how he was converted. He was working as a carpenter in Pennsylvania. And there was a fellow carpenter. His name was Elmer. Elmer would ask Ernie to come to church with him the following Sunday. And he says, in a year's time, I had 52 invitations. I had 52 excuses why I couldn't go. Finally, he said to get Elmer off my back. I said, Okay, Elmer, I'll come to church Sunday. Ernie said, When he parked his car and he was coming to the church, he saw Elmer on the steps waiting for Ernie. And when Ernie got there, Elmer said, Welcome, Ernie. And tears rolled down Elmer's cheeks. And Ernie said, It was the tears that got me. I never forgot the tears. Why would he care so much about me? Let me ask you this. When have you lately wept for a lost soul? God notices tears. So at the bottom of this entire story is a widow crying. And so the widow turns and says, uh, turn to Elisha and he turns to her because... She hoped to get some kind of word, knowing that the man of God would know what she should do. She knew Elisha was in touch with God. He was the only hope she had. His first response was, well, how can I help? And then answered his own question and says, what do you have in your house? How many would have thought to ask a question like that? Chances are Elisha didn't even know what his own question would lead to. He was going one step at a time. And then she, he says, what have you got? Well, I've got a little oil. But who would have thought the little oil would be the solution? Or she might have thought, is that the best the great prophet is going to do? Yes, what have I got? I say, a little oil. And then he says to her, Here's what you do. Go to your neighbors and ask them for empty jars. It's not going to cost them. They're not giving you money. Just go and get empty jars. She might have thought, you've got to be kidding, joking. Is that the best the prophet can do? And sometimes what is right under our nose is the next step forward is solving our problem. As I say, most people don't want their problem solved. They want their problem understood. It's like in the fifth chapter of John. There was a man who was an invalid for 38 years. Imagine that. He goes to the water, Pool of Bethesda, and waiting for the waters to be stirred up and His excuse is that somebody gets to the waters first. You only get one chance. If the water stirs up, get in the water and you'll be healed. And here's a man who is an invalid, 38 years. And Jesus comes along and asks him what you would say must surely be a dumb question. He says to to the uh, man, Do you want to be healed? we would say, you've got to be joking. Of course I want to be healed. But why did he ask that? He asked that because after 38 years, that's a pretty long time, you're still giving the same old excuse. You don't get to the water soon enough. And we all have our excuse why we're still in debt. And I ask Do you want to be out of debt? Do you really want to be out of debt? And so I would just say to anybody here today, do you want to be healed? Or do you like it? You're in that condition. Because that way you can always complain a little bit. Or do you want to be out of debt? Then if you really want to be out of debt, what if I were to say to you, I've got, your, I've got the solution. Get your credit card and a scissors and cut it up. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, you see what I mean? That's your problem, isn't it? A credit card, the downfall of nearly everybody. Jesus said, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. Now, he didn't mean to go home and solve your hand off. <laughs> that has been tried and didn't solve the problem. It's a metaphor. For example, you're, let's say you're in debt. And I were to say to you, uh, what do you use when you reach for your wallet? Hand, right? What do you use when you reach for your credit card? Use your Hand. What do you use when you come up with your password? Cut it off. Oh no. You see we don't want the problem solved, we want it understood. And by the way, since I'm right into that fifth chapter of Matthew, uh, Jesus asked another question, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. That was regarding lusting, lusting. If you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your own heart. There's somebody here, you are addicted to pornography. Pluck out your eye. That means either throw away your television or get a channel arrangement that you cannot get the pornographic channel. If you really want help, Because pornography will destroy you. It'll destroy your marriage, your relationship with others, and it will sap you, and you wonder why you're not growing in grace. The thing is, we're always wanting for something to happen. We we don't really want the problem solved. Oh, by the way, if you are in debt, you can't get out of debt. What if I were to give you a little solution that's something like this? C-A-P. Christians Against Poverty. You can go online today and get Christians Against Poverty. It's CAP. They're there to help you to get out of debt. They're not going to give you money. They're going to give you wisdom. And... Hundreds of Christians in Britain have been helped, and they're so thankful. If you don't know how to do that, a member of the staff will show you how to get online, find about CAP, And it could be this simple solution. You say, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted a, a word of knowledge how I could win the lottery. <laughs> God ain't going to do that. And if he didn't love you so much, that's, it's, that's why he's not going to let you do it that way. It would destroy you. And so says Elisha, you only need empty jars. Don't ask for just a few because it's a hint right there that Elisha knew where he was going with this. Why did she do this after shutting the door behind her? Well, I say it was for her alone to see God's work and her two sons could see it. And they get to see God at work. And perhaps it was also to keep the neighbors from knowing how much oil she had. In any case, what must it have been like? Pouring the oil being created right before her eyes. You know, this story demonstrates the dignity of the human person. It shows the dignity of work this woman could now feel good in herself instead of having to beg she actually is given the dignity of work god wants to do that for all of us and so she is turned into a businesswoman as i say to many people want today just a handout and so he says to this broken-hearted widow, "What do you have?" She says, "A little oil." And so God led Elisha one step at a time. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is follow. And so the answer to our problems, so often right under our nose, back when Louise and I were first married, Uh, It turned out that she married a man who was deep in debt. That was me. I was, I wouldn't want you to know how much money I owed. All because of my own folly before marrying Louise. I bought a brand new car. I even owned an airplane. Did you know that? I owned a plane. Credit card. Oh, the things you can get with a credit card. And then I was so much in debt, no Time for me to go into the ministry now. I wasn't tithing. Oh, no. All that debt, God would expect me to pay my bills first. And I'd casually go to a friend to see him one day, and there's a man there selling vacuum cleaners. Up to then, I had a, a job selling insurance, regular salary. But after two years, I was deeper in debt. I wasn't tithing. And the idea of selling a vacuum cleaner door to door. I mean, can you imagine the the prestige that comes in being a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman? But you know what? I was pretty desperate. And that man said, I can teach you how to sell vacuum cleaners. Simultaneous with my selling vacuum cleaners, we started tithing. We started tithing. We weren't out of debt in a week or two, but in two years, we were completely out of debt. And that was something like 55 years ago. We've lived for 55 years on 90% of our income. Started tithing then, never looked back. Louise and I have not owed any money for 55 years. We're not millionaires. but We're doing fine. We're doing fine. I just don't go into debt. And it's a good feeling. And you that know that, The drudgery and the treachery and the awful feeling of debt. There is a way forward. Even if it means you have to go to your neighbors and ask for empty jars. Could it be that what you have insignificant though it may seem is the next step forward in your dilemma. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is follow. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is follow. You see you following me? You learned a new chorus. <laughs> God said to Moses, I want you to deliver your people from Pharaoh. How can I? How can I do this? God said to Moses, what's that in your hand? Oh, you mean my staff? Yep. Throw the staff down. It becomes a serpent. Pick it up. Staff again. That staff would lead the people of Israel out of bondage. In fact, when the Egyptians made one more attempt to defeat the Israelites, God said, raise your staff and stretch it out, your hand over the sea. Elisha says to the widow, sell your oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons will have enough to live on. No one would have thought of that. But this is better than having money given to her, and she wouldn't have to beg. And just in the providence of God, would you believe it? In my Bible reading today, as you probably know, I've told you many times, I have a Bible reading plan. And my Bible reading today was in Psalm 34. Listen to this. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. Come down to Psalm 37. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. The widow retained her dignity. God will do the same for you. What's in your hand? What do you have? A little bit of oil. You have a gift that nobody else has. And what he made you, he threw the mold away. Don't imitate anybody else. God made you like you are with a purpose. And what is under your nose is the next step. And God will take care of you from then on our lord knows the way through the wilderness all we have to do is follow our lord knows the way through the wilderness all we have to do is follow strength for the day is mine all the way and all that I need for the morrow. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is follow.